Welcome to the How to Get a Job podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero. And in this podcast, we help international STEM students land a job that sponsors their H-1B without applying to hundreds of companies. So if you enjoyed this episode, give us a follow, give us a review, and share it with a friend. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I have a special guest. I have Sammy Hijasi. He's an associate director at Wayfair and an international student advocate. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. How's it going today, Sammy? Really good, Daniel. I'm excited to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to this for some time. Like I said, I've been following you for a while. It's a good, good opportunity for us to connect and catch up. So thanks for having me. No, thank you. And you know what I love about the podcast situation is that one, we can catch up and get to know each other, but even more importantly, more people can learn from our stories and from our journeys because um, that, that's the key here, right? Like there's no such thing, like no one makes the, some, anything great by themselves. Like, you know, you do it really based on the foundation that someone else has laid. And so uh, Sammy, you know, we'd love to just start and kind of say, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, that, so... I'm probably my 16th year in my career, so I'm a little bit older, obviously. Uh, I think I, I graduated from my bachelor's in 2005 from Penn State, where I was an international student. Um, I, you know, I, I did get a chance to come back to the U.S. a year after graduating undergrad and find a job. Um, I, I worked at this company in, in Pennsylvania for about 10 years. I then said, you know, oh, I'm, not, I'm not progressing the way I'd like. I was a manager at that point. I'd been in the same industry for a while. So I went to do my MBA as a way to pivot. That landed me at Wayfair in Boston. It wasn't really until Wayfair when I started to get into supporting international students. And I think the trigger for me was when I had some interns. Wayfair gets a ton of interns from Northeastern. Uh, university, which is like a, a giant, you know, has a giant uh, international student population, and um, they do something called a co-op program, which is a little bit longer than internships. It's about six months, and like I had some great students. They did a great, honestly, like as far as I'm concerned, a great job, right? But when it came time to looking at whether we would offer them full time afterwards or not, uh, and we get in our little committee and talk about the different students, what I found was I was the only one advocating for them right? You're their American peer from the same university, similar class, whatever, in the same type of role. There were, there were a couple people in that meeting who are senior to them, who knew them, who knew their work, um, uh, you know, hung out, you know, had lunch with them, you know, almost even in some cases acted as mentors towards them. I think what happened was the international students, um, you know, they just put their head down, focus on the work and crush the work. And, you know, it sort of hit me. I'm like, holy shit, I was, I was just like that. <laughs> I remember not wanting to succeed via working with others because I was so accustomed to doing it by myself and getting good grades. And, and so I'm like, huh, that's super interesting. So like I, at Wayfair, I started to get this sense that, no, I can come back and give back to international students. So I partnered up with Northeastern. I started to do sessions on how to succeed in your internship. And it's sort of like, just ballooned into like a completely different path. But yeah, I would say like, it wasn't, you know, it, it took me, it took me, te you know, 12 years to really realize like what makes an international student stand out versus, uh, versus an American student. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is that um, I had a, a, a kind of similar, uh, some overlapping journey in, in understanding that, Hey, like 
international students definitely need more advocates and need more support system. And, and, and I'll quickly kind of explain it here in this episode because I've done it before, but um, I started out in, in being helping people get jobs about over 10 years ago when I was working at PepsiCo. And I realized that you have a, a I worked at PepsiCo and we would go to meetings with like VPs and directors and they're like, hey, like we're struggling to find 20 qualified candidates for a management training program. And I'm like, how does that, how is that possible? How, how is an organization struggling to find talent yet they recruited over eight schools and there's at least 10,000 people that graduate from the schools every year that, that match the requirements, right? Like on paper, like what is this disconnect? So I started just being a career coach and helping uh, like kind of bridge that gap, like helping job seekers communicate the value that the companies are looking for because they get lost in the mass application, right? With so many people apply. But when I started working, I started realizing that the more and more people that needed the most help were actually international students. And in particularly international STEM students that had, I would even argue and even debate this, um, generally speaking, right? Better technical skills than our, than our American peers, but their soft skills or their way to communicate the value or networking, right? Um, that was where they felt short. And Part of that was one, they don't have a network established, right? Their whole families and support system are back home. Other than this, the other international students that they seem to group together with, when they're within the university, they don't have cousins and uncles, mom or dad, neighbor that works at the companies to open the door for an interview, right? And, and, and then the second thing is they're so focused on the doing the job on building the skill sets that they don't build the, the soft skills that are required right and, and that became the major gap that i am trying to solve now is to say look odds are international student like odds are you have the skill set but what you don't have is the visibility and because the internet has made it so easy for all of us to apply online and and now when i speak to international students i literally think that that i on average, it's at least 200 plus applications because the internet has made it easy to apply, which then on the other hand has made it very hard to get noticed, right? So it's like for the pros and cons of online applications. And that made it really tough, especially as an international student and companies, not every company sponsors or there's filter questions like, you know, will you now or in the future require sponsorship? And so networking has to be part of the strategy as an international student. The quality of your application has to, because I've, I, I am willing to bet my life on this statement that as an international student, visibility becomes more important than ability when it comes to landing your first job. Once you're inside the company, I truly believe that you can still network and get ahead, but your work at least will help you, you know, maintain that. But what are your thoughts on everything I just shared? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I think it applies to all students. I think in this day and age, you know, because it's easy to apply, like visibility is key. I think for international students, it's, um, you know, it starts, it starts uh, way back when they're in high school. I think, you know, when you think of countries like India, uh, China, there's a lot of students now from Southeast Asia, like actually, and what, you know, what their families value, how they benchmark themselves against other students, it's all about grades. Mm -hmm. right and and you know they don't actually know where they're going to go they could go to australia they can go to uk europe uh us so we take a lot of um extra uh, what's it called um external exams like ap o level uh as 
a AP, like so on and so forth. And so your your schedule at school, like the last few years, is in absolutely intense. When you take go to a company like China, when there's a country like China where there's like more wealth, the 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 wealthier students are getting TOEFL teachers, getting people to write their essays, like. And it's, this, there's a lot of competition, but it's all based on something that's measurable. I can measure TOEFL. I can measure my grades of these external exams. I can, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? Um, and so then you come to the US and it's like, huh, I've been conditioned to, this is how I've succeeded in the past. How's it any different here? I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put my head down and get these like check marks, right? I'm gonna get this great GPA, I'm gonna work. And you know, I think that you're absolutely right. Like, I would say like our mission, Daniel, is like, how do we get these students when they first come to shift their mindsets to know that energy spent can't be the way that you've done it in the past? Yeah. Because you, you made a great point. I think it's because it's easy to apply online. It can't be the way you've spent your energy in the past. It has to be, you know, shifting towards people, shifting towards soft skills, shifting towards building visibility. And like, I, you know, it's not an easy thing to convince students. Um, no, it's difficult because also like that the number of applications is a quantifiable way to see that I'm doing a good job, right? Agree, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and and that becomes difficult because then you fall into this like I just need to apply more. And and here's the thing, right? Like, um, I'm I also don't think that don't apply just network works. Like, I think that there's there's different extremes, right? And I, I just don't think that I, I, that one extreme of applying to a thousand companies or, hey, no applying to any companies and just network and let them network offer you a job. Like as an international student, you can't go this route, right? You can't go this route. Like you, you, you have to have a really balanced approach. And, and because I also understand like, hey, you need to apply. You, you have a time situation. Like you your time is not with you. You're after graduation, you have less than 90 days to get a job in order for your OPT, right? And so that those those are difficult situations to be in, right? But when you're applying to a thousand companies, you lose the quality of the application because you're focused on quantity. And then what happens is that if you do get called into an interview or a job, what are the odds that that job is actually going to be like, we're going to be fulfilling? What are the odds that it's actually going to pay well? What are the odds that like it actually fits what you're looking for, right? And and I understand that at a point, like for international students, like, hey, I just need a job. Like I need a job related to my major. I just need to be here. Once I get my H-1B, then I can figure that out. And, and I'm telling you, I think that there is a more balanced approach of, of focusing on the quality of application. Maybe instead of applying to a hundred companies a, a month, I would suggest, hey, 10 quality applications a week, right? quality over quantity on companies that one are hiring two are willing to sponsor three match your career priorities if they match those three things let's double down or triple down quadruple down on those opportunities apply customize resume cover letter network with five to ten people that work in the company focus on the visibility once your application is in the system get visibility so that you get to the interview and then when you get to the interview show your value i think that's the winning strategy versus a thousand applications a month or no applications at all. I mean, I, I, I agree, Daniel. It's like, and then how do we convince the students to do that? You're, you're hundred percent right. I would say, especially even with the larger companies, like to your point, I think there is actually some momentum that you build. Like once you get that first call, 
you actually find your, yourself getting another call and another call from the same company, even if even if that initial role didn't work out, right? And there's a lot of recruiter strategies, like how do you play the game with the recruiter once you're, you know, they know who you are, they've done the screen, they feel good about you. Um, so yeah, the, the quality applications absolutely matter. I, I would also just say, and we, we talked about this, I think at one point in the past, when it comes to H1B, it's like, you're right, they're out of time. They want to get the job. Um, you get the H-1B. Now, if, if you get a company to file for your H-1B, you enter the lottery, right? And when you enter the lottery, you either get selected or you don't. Now, if you do get selected, you that, that's a huge milestone to pass. Because at that point, you can then transfer to any company that you want because the transfer is a lot easier because you don't have to go through that lottery system again. And so you become a lot more marketable. So and I agree, like, if, if we if we had all the time and choice in the world, uh, you know, let's try and find the best job ever. But for a lot of international students, like, can I get a company that will apply for my H-1B successfully and enter me into the lottery? From there, I, I can pray and uh, hope the universe listens to me. But, okay, if I get accepted in that lottery, great. I've, I've actually passed a very important milestone. Um and then you can start to be a lot more selective and put your networking and visibility skills that you gained into finding like a, a, a job that really fits your needs. Yeah, I, I would tell you like the first job out of college is probably the most difficult one to get. After that, you're going to actually, if, especially in, in the technical field and you have a couple of years of experience, maybe six months to a year, two years, like you're going to get actually, it's like the, 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 the leverage pool switches. If you have your H1B and you have one year of experience, actually recruiters will be reaching out to you a lot more than you're going to be reaching out to them. And it, it kind of changes all. So it's just, it's just, how do we get the beginning, right? How do we get our first foot in a door with a company that's Agree. working for us? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, looking back, like what, what are, what are some advice, like main things that you wish you knew that as somebody that's maybe graduating soon or by December uh, should know about? Um, for those graduating soon, I mean, I, 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 would, I would much rather give advice for people who are graduating a year or like a year and a half later, because it's so much easier to do. There's a ton you could do at that point. And we could talk about that more, but for those graduating soon, you know, really consider your time spent and the value of it, whether you're putting it towards school or towards looking for jobs. I have a lot of students who are graduating in three months um, that I'm mentoring to help find a job. And they're constantly busy with schoolwork. And I'm, it's amazing to me, like you're, you're literally about to graduate, right? Um, like, you know, what is the progress that you're making to your point, applying to 10, having 10 quality applications a week, right? Have you had good conversations? Are you following up? Are you doing your mock interviews, your case interviews? Like, and, and if you're, if you're, if you're not spending a decent amount of your time doing, and again, to your point, don't, don't have the fallacy of applying to a hundred jobs, low quality as a check mark, like you're doing a good job. That doesn't mean that you're doing a good job. We're talking about 10 quality applications a week. Like if you're not doing that at a minimum and you're like three months from graduating, it's, it's, it's going to be really hard for you to secure something. Um, yeah. If you have a lot of time, Daniel, like, like the students who just arrived, one of the best things you could do is get an on-campus job. 
um, you, you, I think, I think it's called the F1 visa that allows you to do that. Yeah, you, 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 CP, yeah, well, yeah, you can get through campus and then you're through CP campus, right? After you've done two semesters or eight months. That's right. And I, I, I'm a big advocate of on campus jobs, especially if you're struggling with your English. I think it's, it's amazing how quickly your English improves when you work versus you try and go study it, right? Yeah. So if on campus job is an easier solution, do that. Um, the internship is huge. Like you want to spend a lot of time like going after internships and networking to do that because it is your, you know, your, your long interview for a full-time job at a company. And like, so yeah, there's, there's a lot more you could do if you buy yourself time. Yeah. I want to kind of talk about what you were mentioning about if you don't have time and how I've noticed the same thing that it's, uh, there's our international students are so engraved on the GPA, right. And, and, and just focus on schoolwork and, um, and during their last semester have a 3.9 GPA and it's like, Hey, I need to finish with all A's. And I'm like, look, I understand school is important, right? I don't need you to fail because then you're here for another semester, but your GPA is like a credit score and there's a dim diminishing returns at a certain point. If you were to go and say, okay, I need to study 20 hours a week per class, multiply that, right? By let's say three classes. So you have to study 60 hours a week to get all A's, but you have to study 50 hours a week to get B's and then 40 hours a week to get a C, right? I think you need to look at that because the difference between a 3.6 GPA and a 3.8 or a 3.9 is virtually none to a hiring manager. And so at that point, you need to say, okay, what I is the agree. law of there's, a, there's this law of diminishing demand. At one point, do I settle with it B, even though I know it's going to be hard because your whole life, probably 15, 20 years of your education has been get the best grade, get the best grade, get the, get the best grade to say, I'm going to sacrifice my grades here to build, to have time to apply for jobs properly. Because if you think that you're going to graduate this May, and then have 90 days is plenty of time for you to get a job. I promise you that is a very stressful situation that I don't wish upon my worst enemy, right? Because it's not even about how long it takes you to find a job. Most of the time that you're job searching is out of your control. Aside from the fact that you put the application in, whether you get interviewed or not is out of your control, right? It's, it's the recruiters. How long the interview process is, is out of your control. How long it takes for them to make a decision is out of their control. How long it takes for them to run background checks is out, of, is out of your control. All of those things add up time. They count towards your 90 days. So you need to be looking for a job, ideally. All good points, all good points. Two semesters ahead, if not earlier. And if this is your last semester, you need to make some decisions now that are probably against what you're used to. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Daniel. Then the other part is like, um, do you do it alone or you, do you do it with someone, right? And, and what are the trade-offs? And that's something I, I work with students all, like, you know, one thing you do well, and I, I hope that I do well as well, is curate content. There's a ton of content out there. So what is the right way to go about the job search? You, you can go and, and get a ton of content. You can go pay someone to write your resume. Again, like a, another huge fallacy. Like, because international students are coming and thinking, uh, oh, I'm applying to all these internships and I'm applying to all these jobs and I'm not getting a job. And the first, you know, when they contact me or probably contact you, one of the first things that's on their mind is, I don't think my resume is right. And then it turns yeah. out, well, what we talk about is like, yeah, you know, there's definitely some adjustment. Everyone can make their, even my resume can be better, right? But, I, but there are some like, um, 
um, the table stakes. Like it's got to be one page. You got to show some results. You have to highlight multiple skills, not just your technical skills, including leadership, communication. Okay, great. But like a big reason you're not hearing back is because you're applicant number 400 or 350, or you know you got a referral from someone that's in a completely different department. And so once you're able to connect these dots, that's when you start hearing back. So I just want to point out specifically, like on the resume topic, that's a one step in the process. On job searching by yourself, there's a ton of free content on there. And if you have all the time in the world, you will actually learn it and you will practice and you'll do a good job. But then if you do, if you are in a pinch and you have three months left, it's extremely important that you get some sort of support network, support system through it. And it's not about the content. It's about making sure that there's someone to guide you every step of the way so that you're not wasting time, right? Yeah. And like, if you can get that for free from your, from your career services, fantastic. Like that should be your option. If you can't, you should, you should seriously consider getting some support if you plan to stay. If it's not important to you to stay, then yeah, go ahead, give it a shot, try it out on your own. But like people, you know, people should consider their options and like seriously consider investing if they're in a time crunch um, to just maximize their chance. And I have a, I'll share later a personal story about me doing that uh, myself, if that's interesting. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I actually agree with you and not even to pitch my services. I generally don't even pitch them on the podcast. Um, but at least, I mean, this is what I've come to the conclusion. Any, and this, that, that same advice you give can just be for any goal, anything that you're really trying to achieve. I've come to this conclusion that life is a trade-off of time and money, right? If I have all the time in the world, right, I, to figure something out, I can go learn it myself. I can go read books. I can go watch YouTube videos. I can Google it. I can go through the trials and errors and turbulations and, and gain that experience through personally applying to hundreds, thousands of jobs, right? On the other side of that, I can go get someone and pay a lot of money for them to do 99% of it, right? There's even companies out there that would even apply for you. They'll do everything for you, but it'll cost you tens of thousands of dollars, right? Now, you got to figure out where in this, like, this line you want from free YouTube videos that is not personalized to you all the way to somebody doing everything for you, right? And in between, there's a resume writer, an interview coach, right? There is online courses that you can buy that's a little bit more specific to that. Now, for me, and I'll, and I'll explain to you how, how my, my program works, is we are a pay-by-performance company, right? We don't work with everybody. We focus on only working with international STEM students. And we work with about 20 students every month to ensure quality. But once we decide that we want to work with you and we have a call with anybody that's interested to do kind of like a discovery call, um, and we decide, hey, we think we can help you based on the timeline that you have, based on the, your career aspirations is realistic, right? And based Ooh, on making yeah. sure that you have basic, basic skill sets that are required for the jobs that you're going for, then we can help you. And the way we do is that transparency is that we charge 5% of first year income. Right. But you only pay that 5% once you get a job and are and are receiving. Right. So we're pay by performance in return of that 5%. We walk you through every single aspect of the job search. Right. Number one, we assigned you to a coach that works with you on a one on one basis. One, number two, we create a personalized strategy so that we can build a strategy based on your timeline, your career goals and your career aspirations. Right. We build this strategy and then we focus on your visibility, helping you with your resume, your LinkedIn profile helping you networking with identifying who to network with and how to convert those relationships 
from a stranger to an interview. And then once you get interviews, uh, and our average client is going to get 20% of their applications converting to interviews because we focus on quality, not quantity. Once we get to interviews, we help you with all areas of interviewing from research, from behavioral, from panels, from technical uh, interviews, all the way to salary negotiation, because we're incentivized by the same goal, getting you the best job as possible that's willing to sponsor your H-1B. And, um, and so I do agree with you that if you're in a time crunch, I think it's worth the investment because you probably odds are either you got your, you got thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of student loans or your parents sacrificed a lot for you to be here. And for you not to pay a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand dollars and have to either go do another degree to stay here or go back to your country um, just because you don't, you, you run out of time. I just don't think it's a smart move. I mean, yeah. And, and like, you know, it's important to also like, I want to share an example of like walking that in real life and the trade-offs. And so I, I was, uh, was like at this point, like seven years ago, whatever, I was 29, 30 years old. I had a, I had a son one years old uh, and both my wife and I worked at the same company. We were doing good. And I'm like, all of a sudden I wanted to I never, I never wanted to do an MBA. I don't even know how I got that virus or bug that said, okay, it's time to do an MBA, but it happened, right? And so I started exploring MBAs. I'm like, everywhere is two years. Like, holy crap, that's a lot of money, a lot of time commitment for someone that late. Plus the average age in MBAs is 25. And so through my research, I'm like, I found this uh, school called INSEAD. It's a French school, top rated in Europe. They also have a full-time campus in Singapore. I'm like, it, wouldn't it be awesome to go spend some time in Southeast Asia with the family? And it was a one-year program. So I'm like, okay, this is great. I, 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 I set my sights. I was completely convinced. So I had two things to do. I had the application and the GMAT. When I went through the GMAT, I was really, really crappy at sentence correction, right? And so I actually went and I hired someone online to help me with a, a specific part of the test. I may have maybe in total like spent $90. Okay. And then I got, I got a decent score. It wasn't great. It was a 710, I think. And like, but like you want to get like 740, 750 to get in. And so then I had a trade-off to make. Do I spend more time on the GMAT to get to my 740, 750, or do I pivot all my time to doing the application? And I decided that's a huge decision to make. I pivoted to, to the application. And then when I looked at the application, I'm like, you know what? If I don't get into INSEAD this year and I turn 30 or 31, I'm probably not going to go do an MBA my whole life. I'm done at that point. I'm too old. And so I said, what's the biggest thing holding me back in the applications? I'm actually not a good writer. I became a good writer later in life, but I, I don't think I can write these stories. I, I'm going to suck at my resume. And so I went and searched for someone who can help me with my application. And I ended up choosing someone who was ex-INSEAD, has been doing it for a long time. I think I paid them $4,000, Daniel. At the time, $4,000 was a shit ton of money yeah. for me. Like it was, it was a lot of money. But the reasoning that I had in my mind is it's literally now or never. And if I, if I don't put all my eggs in the basket and take a big swing at this and I don't get in, I'm going to regret it because I'm always in my mind going to say, I could have done a little bit more. I could have done a little better. And so to international students like looking for a job, I'm not advocating for you to pay for services as much as 
decide how important it is to you and think how, how you're going to react if you don't get it after the fact and, and what you might have done differently to get it. If it's really, truly a once in a lifetime, because for many students that you'd be surprised at how many students say, not you, but like in general, a lot of students go back and do another master's degree. Can you believe it? Because they couldn't get a job. Like that's a hundred thousand dollars right there between living. Like it's crazy what students do to stay. Yeah. Why wouldn't you double down and get it right? If that, if it was important to you, if it's not important to you, you're looking forward to going home. Absolutely. Like it's not worth it, but make that decision. And then, you know, give it, give it, a, give it a full swing. Cause it's really going to be a once in a lifetime chance. No, I, I think that's really important. It, it's like, you have to look at the, the whole picture. Sometimes we're like, we are so, and I make this decision too. When I, because I, I, I have, I also hire business coaches, right? And, and and the bigger my business gets, the more expensive my business coaches get because I'm t- taking my business to the next level. And it's like, oh my god, like that's a lot. Like the last business coach, I paid over ten thousand dollars, right? And I'm this like, this is personal business coach, like someone to coach you. No, for like my students, company, like my company. company, like you hire them for yourself for the students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's to help my company grow, like you know how to scale the business. Gotcha. And. I'm like, man, $10,000 is a lot. Like I, I, I started working with them like two years ago. And, and I have to think about, it's like, it's not what the cost of working, of paying that individual is, but it's like, what, what's the cost of not working with them? Right. It, that's, that's, right. That's, that's the thing that needs to click because when I started working with them, I was only bringing less than $5,000 of revenue a month. So I'm like giving him two months worth of revenue. But within three months of working together, I quadruple my business. So it, like, it's like, not only did it pay itself off, but like for the rest of my life, I have that knowledge that is just a compound effect of being able to build that business, right? And so I, I and this is the same thing with career. Like, I, I think like, and it's it's not, look, I'm advocating for coaching. I'm not, but it, you have to make sure that it's the right coach for you, right? And that it solves the problem that you particularly have, Um and, and I think that it's important to vet them. And I would encourage you to vet whether your resume writer and not just listen to the testimonials that they have on their website, but go to those people and go to people that their clients and ask them for their personal experience when they're off. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that because I, at this point, if you're have less than three months before graduation, right, you don't have the time. So you have to invest the money. Right. Because again, life is a trade off of time and money. If you have time, no I, I love that analogy of the business coach. I also, I want to shift it back to you a little bit, if you don't mind. I, I know that you, are you still doing the, the, the comedy classes, like the stand-up classes? So I, I, I did it um, because I, once in a while, I like to do things that I'm new at to challenge me. So I did improv in the past. I did comedy this year. I did a triathlon a year. I did a half marathon. So I would change things up to try to learn something and, and more than anything to humble myself, to remind myself what it looks like to be new at doing something because it's so important, right? Yeah, no, I think it was it's so crucial because I, I forget what it feels like to be lost, what it feels like to be intimidated by the process because everything else in my life that I've been doing, I've been doing it for a long time. I've been, I've been running a business for a long time. I've been coaching about career for a long time. I've been doing podcasting for a long time. So when someone says, hey, how hard is it to do a podcast? Well, I'm like, I've done 270. Like, I mean, it's easy, right? Like, uh, but it's not easy. It's easy because I put in the hours. And so um, I did comedy for that. And obviously I thought I, I enjoy watching comedy, but it's a, it's a fun project. 
I mean, it, it was to your point, like it was super intimidating, right? Oh my God. You, yeah. When you go into it, you're like a kid going to school on their first day, but we're not young. We're not, you're young, but like I'm saying, we're not, we're not in our early twenties anymore. Like we used to be or like late, late teens. Right. But we still get that same feeling because starting something new is always like, it's like, it's like, you know, you're on, you're on display for everyone, whether it's a comedy class or it's like applying for a job. And like, I want to be on my best. I want to put my best foot forward and I'm not going to do that. And I am going to screw it up. And I don't like that fact. And you're, you're hundred percent right. Daniel. Like yeah. we even have to do that to ourselves every single, you know, periodically to remember what it feels like, but it never yeah. goes away. It Absolutely. never goes away. Yeah. Sammy. So look, I, time flies when you're having fun, man. I can't believe we've, we've kind of gone over 30 minutes already. Uh, if, if people are listening to this podcast, want to connect with you, what's the best way? Um, feel free to like, we can, we can share my LinkedIn uh, post. Uh, they can, they can reach out to me there via message or try and connect. And I'll, I'll obviously try and respond to as many people as possible. But yeah, I really appreciate the time, Daniel. Yeah. Anything you want to share as we close up? Uh, that's it. Just like I said, good luck to everyone. Um, you know, consider your options. If you're, if you're, if you have three months in and you want to accelerate your process, I think actually Daniel's program is phenomenal. Like I've, I've been following him for a while. Um, but in general, like know that, uh, you shouldn't be doing this on your own and, uh, and, uh, you know, find some sort of support network as an international student. And like Daniel and I are here to help. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and I'm not saying that my, my program is the only one out there, right? I think it's just important that you do your homework, uh, go to your career uh, services and see what, what, what do they offer and how does that support you, even coming from a point that your situation is a little different than their traditional students, but they can still help you with some of the basics like resume writing and so on. I also think it's important um, to, to be proactive and, and start networking with your peers and your seniors uh, to do things like that. But for all of you interested, if you are list, if you are interested of um, learning more, I'm going to put a link on the show notes where um, you can kind of watch. I have a 30 minute webinar on particularly focused on the main three mistakes that international students make. I would encourage you to watch it. Um, and if you want, have any questions, just reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or my email and we can go from there. Sammy, it's been such a pleasure for everybody else listening. Catch you guys on the next episode. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're still listening, it's because you've reached the end of the episode and that speaks volumes of you. In an age of distraction, the fact that you're still listening to this means that you're serious about your career. And to do that, I want to return the favor and reward you for this behavior. So to do that, I want to give you access to a free 30-minute webinar that's going to completely change the way you job search. This webinar was built just for international STEM students and we're going to talk about the three biggest mistakes international STEM students make when looking for a job and how to fix them. So if you want to get access to this webinar, go to masteringcollege2career.com forward slash webinar podcast.